0: Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammond's ministries, visit COTR.com. We're going to be going to John chapter 12. Let me set us up. And the topic we're going to talk about today is eternal life. Everlasting life. All right? So keep eternal life in your thoughts. Uh, as you go to John 12. Now, let me, let, let, let me provide the setting for John 12. John 12 takes place in about the year AD 30. It's in the spring of the year, of that year. How do we know? Because Passover is only one week ahead, and Passover is in the spring. So, Jesus at this time is 33 and a half years old. It's the springtime. I'm going to do it this way. It's the springtime, so he's 33 and a half. That means he was born in the fall. He dies at 33 and a half in the spring. He was conceived around December. Okay? So, anyway, I'll just throw that in there. So, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's just the last few days of his life on earth. He's really doing his best to give everything he can. Because the people he's about to leave with the responsibility for carrying on the work that he's done you know, need to know everything they can, and, and, and Jesus is really trying to give them a lot. If we were to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if we were to put all the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, approximately 40% of the cumulative total of the Scriptures are written about these last two weeks in the life of Jesus. Okay. All of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Count all the verses. Count all the scriptures, and 39. Point something percent is all about the last two weeks. And so Jesus is here, busy in these last two weeks, telling people everything they need to know. He's tried to tell you know his his um, his disciples that you know I'm, I'm I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to you know uh, and and they don't want to hear it. They really don't understand what's going on. They're at a place in life to where they they love Jesus, they believe he's Messiah, they believe he's the king, but they are waiting on him to be crowned. They are not waiting on him to die. They haven't understood. I don't know why, because for the past 1,500 years and every year for these disciples since they were born, they have celebrated Passover. And Passover was here again. And this was a particular Passover because Jesus had told them that, that I'm going you know, uh, to, to be offered up as a sacrifice you know, for sin. They should have recognized that's what Passover's about. You see, each one of the feasts in the Old Testament, each one of the Jewish feasts is a dress rehearsal for something that is really going to happen. And so for 1,500 years, the Jews had been having a dress rehearsal every year. And they had been having a dress rehearsal with a lamb, Okay, Remember they came out of Egypt, they were commemorating Moses bringing them out of Egypt with the death of a lamb, with the blood put upon the doorpost of their, of, of, of their homes and with the angel of death passing over them and them passing from death to life and they were coming out of bondage and Pharaoh and Egypt and going in toward a promised land. So they have been celebrating this and they had been rehearsing it. And now the real Passover had come. And all the players were in place. We have the Lamb of God. We have the Pharaoh of that time. We have the world that that, that is encroaching. And here we are in this moment with Jesus trying to tell them that something is going to happen. Something special is going to happen. And they haven't caught it. They don't know what it is. They're wondering, you know, what is he talking about? Every time he tried to tell them that he was going to be crucified, Peter would say, no, you're not. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Or else, you know, two of the disciples would say, you know, James and John and their mother wanted to know, well, can we sit next to you whenever you come into your kingdom? Can we sit on your right hand or your left? I mean, they would divert. They would change the subject. They did not understand. They don't know what's going on here. And we are at a very important moment where Jesus is wanting them to understand that I'm about to be sacrificed for sin. We pick up in verse 27 of John chapter 12. The Bible says, Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He's speaking to all those there around the temple, all those that that, that are listening to Him. He's he's, he's talking to scribes and Pharisees and lawyers and and, and religious leaders. He he says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For For what shall I say? I mean... He says can you can you see that that my soul is troubled I'm 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 really wrestling with this I'm 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 about to be crucified, he's thinking. I'm about to be beaten. I'm about to be arrested. I'm about to have a crown of thorns on my head. I'm about to be stripped, and and I'm about to be spit upon, and I'm about to be completely, you know, rejected. I mean, my heart is troubled. What should I say? Should I pray, God, get me out of this? Take me away from this? Should I pray, God, uh, you you know, get me out of it? No, he says because it is for this reason, this is the very purpose that I came to this hour. I can't ask God to let me out of this crucifixion, because it's for this very reason that I have come here. Verse 32, he continues, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about being crucified, if I'm lifted up on a cross, he's speaking about, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples, all peoples, all ethnos, all, all uh, you know, race and, and color and creed and national origin. I will draw all peoples unto myself. This he said, verse 33, signifying by what death he would die, talking about the cross. If I be lifted up, I will draw all peoples unto myself. Wow. He continues in verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, excuse me, go back to verse 37. 37, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe him. Jesus had done so many signs. Think about all the things that Jesus had done. Even there in Jerusalem, and especially in front of his disciples, think of all the things that he had done. He had raised the dead. He had healed the sick. He had cleansed the leper. He had cast out devils. He had made blind people see. He had made lame people walk. He had walked on water. I mean, Jesus had done so many miracles, so many signs, but yet many people still did not believe in him. Verse 42, nevertheless... Even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now, what a, what a sad testimony. Yeah. Many of the rulers believed in him. <laughs> many of the rulers believed in Jesus, but they didn't want anybody to know about it because if somebody knew, it might ruin their political career. It might ruin their standing in the community. There were a lot of secret disciples, secret believers of Jesus right there in Jerusalem. Many believed in him. But because of those who were in favor, in leadership of these Pharisees were in leadership that day, People could not tell anybody that they believed in him, or they would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43: For they love the praises of men more than the praise of God. God help us that our government never gets that way. Oh, y'all can laugh and say "Amen" both at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Lord Jesus, please help us. Verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. Listen to this now. Well, what a marvelous statement! If we could just get that far this morning, and that that be our takeaway, that would be wonderful. Jesus is saying, if if I tell anybody about me, and if I tell somebody who I am, and if I tell them about what I'm doing, I am the light. And if I tell them and they don't believe me, I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to criticize them. I'm not going to, you know, say bad things about them. Remember, Jesus met the young rich ruler who Jesus said, come and follow me. And the young rich ruler said no. And Jesus, you know, was, was sad because he loved this man. He didn't start throwing rocks at him. He didn't start saying bad things about him. He had compassion on him. Jesus said this, that, 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 that if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world I came to save the world Woo! what a good thing man let's let's just all just just in our own hearts and minds get up and step from here right over to here right over where Jesus is okay We're not here to judge the world. We're not here to criticize sinners. We're not here to to, to start pointing fingers at anybody else. We are here to help Jesus save the world, to bring people to... It's this reason we came to this world, so that we could help Jesus save the... And so here he says, verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words, there is one that does judge him. won't be me. But the word will judge him when? In the last day. Let's leave a lot of things to the last day. Hello? Let's leave a lot of our critical remarks to the last day. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, things that help. I'm talking about things that hurt. I'm not talking about advice and counsel. I'm talking about criticism. Oh, come on now. I'm preaching better than you're amen in. Okay? Hey? judgmental criticism that does nothing but tears down and destroys and divides and separates. I'm not talking about loving, caring, kind encouragement. I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm, I'm talking about what Jesus is saying here. It's very important to to, to hear him. Let's leave that to the last day. Verse 49, for I have not spoken of my own authority. Now, this is where we're getting to our, our, our word today, okay? I said all that. To get to hear I have not spoken of my own authority Jesus said I'm not saying just what I think he said but the father who sent me gave me a command I'm not telling you what I think I'm not giving you my opinion I am telling you that the Father that sent me, he gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Now, now, here's Jesus saying that the Father that sent me here Told me what to say and what to speak. These are two different Greek words, by the way. That first one, say, is a, is a, is a Greek word, epo. It means more, um, almost like a command. Uh, the, 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 the Father sent me, He told me what to be strong about, what to command, and what to, you know, and, and He also told me what to, what, what to just generally converse about. He also told me what to speak about. He told me what to share with you. Uh, Jesus said, you know, I'm not speaking of my own authority, but the Father who sent me, he told me what I should share and also what I should demand. Wow. And I know that his command is everlasting life, eternal life. That is the command of God. I know that his command is eternal life. I know why he gave me a command, why he told me what to say, and why he told me what to share. It's because God is after one thing, and God is after eternal life. That's why God sent Jesus, because God wanted eternal life. And it wouldn't do any good to have eternal life if Jesus was not able to make that happen for you and for me. That's the command. What you should say, what you should speak. I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. We learn from this passage that Jesus did not come to judge the world, but he came to save the world. And that God gave Jesus a command what he should say, what he should speak. And Jesus knew what that command was. And Jesus knew that command was eternal life, it was locked up in salvation. Getting people born again. That is the command that was on Jesus from God. Making sure that eternal life was the most important thing. You know, there are a lot of commands we read about in the Bible. For example, if you were to look into Genesis, when God created the world and put Adam and Eve in the garden, there was no sin. But even though there was no sin, yet God gave them five original commandments. These are the five original commandments given to God in a world where there is no sin. Number one, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue, and have dominion over all of God's creation. Those are the original five commands. That's what happens in a world without sin. That's what will happen in a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? We will be fruitful and multiply. We'll replenish the earth. We will subdue our enemies and subdue the earth, and we will have dominion over all the works of God's hands. Those were the original five commandments. Those are all fairly positive. You know? yeah, that's encouraging, isn't it? This is what you do when there's no sin in your life. This is what you do whenever you're right with God. This is what you do in a world that God has for you. You be fruitful, you multiply, you replenish the earth with people just like you. You make more people like you, more born-again believers just like you. You subdue your enemies and you have dominion over all the things that God has created on the earth. Well, wonderful original five commands. But then something happened to the world and sin came in and it got bad. It got really, really bad and evil and wicked and Noah came along and and the flood came and then they began again to to repopulate the earth and, and all, you know, but things got bad. There was sin in the earth and wickedness in the earth and what do you do in a world with sin? We know what to do in a world with no sin. We be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. We sub, you know, subdue our enemies and we uh, you know, uh, uh, have dominion. We understand what to do when there is no sin. What do you do in a world where there is sin? Well, God gave the Ten Commandments. God's always given commandments for something. <laughs> okay? And He can because He's God. God gave the Ten Commandments through Moses on Mount Sinai to His children to guide them in this world to help them stay away from sin and to stay away from the penalties of sin. That's what it was all about. God gave these 10 commandments to help the children of Israel stay out of sin. He wanted to keep them safe in this sinful, wicked world. What do you do when you live in a world where there is no sin? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue, and have dominion. What do you do in a world filled with sin? Number one, you have no other gods before Almighty God. Why? Because God knows that sin is going to try to encroach into your life, into your mind, and it will try to drag you away from Him. It will try to become a priority in your life. And sin, you'll begin being tempted to love other things more than you love God, to service other things more than you service God, to worship other things more than you worship God. You'll be tempted to be drawn away to other things or money or those kinds of things that try to make their demands. They want your loyalty and they want your devotion. Ocean, and they want to make sure that they get bigger in your life than God is and don't allow anything to become more important than God. That's what he said. This is what you do in a world filled with, filled with sin. How do you and I live? How, how, how does God help us to guide us? in? How do we live good in a bad place? Number one, you don't have any other gods before him. Number two, you don't make any graven image to worship. What in the world does that mean in today's world? Well, you know, making a graven image means to fashion a God. And if we're not watchful, we will, well, you will be tempted. Don't fall for it. You will be tempted. If you're not watchful, you will fall for fashioning a God in your image. A God that agrees with you. A God that you understand. A God that wouldn't send anybody to hell. A God that doesn't like this and doesn't like that because you don't like this, you don't like that, and you can imagine that he does or doesn't. You can, I mean, he's got to be like you or, or he's not your God. I mean, I mean how, many, how many times have people gone to the Word of God and explained it away why God couldn't feel that way, why God wouldn't do that, why that couldn't be right? Because they just can't imagine it. So they fashion a God and says, well, my God's not like that. Well, I want you to know that God is God. And if you are fashioning a God that that is like you or that agrees with you, you are violating a commandment of God to make sure that you don't create a God that doesn't exist, a God that has no power, a God that agrees with your sin, a God that understands your situation, and a God that, that will accept your excuse instead of your repentance. Forgive me and excuse me are two different roads. Forgive me is God, I'm sorry, I repent. Excuse me is, um, Lord, I don't plan on changing, but I really don't want to pay for that. (laughs) Excuse me, God. Excuse me while I do this. (laughs) Okay? Be careful not to fashion a God of our own making. Just let God be God. Just let his word be his word. Okay? Even when we don't understand it, let's just let him be God. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, literally, do not use God's name in idle or vain speech. It is sin to say God said when he didn't say. Hello? It is sin to presume, to use God to swear by. God said this. God told me this. Well, now listen. You need to make sure that God said, because if not, then there is a penalty. There is a concern. And the world will do its best to bring you into sin. And that's one of the ten biggies, is don't use, don't take his name in vain, for he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. There are consequences. And for goodness sake, don't use God's name. Don't use Jesus as a cuss word jesus no listen whenever you say jesus and when you say god angels are are are, are on assignment they hear that and, and and the bible says that they are dispatched they're on assignment they hearken under the voice of god's word to do his bidding i mean you got angels going zing, zing 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 all over the place probably not but you get the picture Don't be asking God to damn things you don't like. Hey, please. Do you know how offensive that is to God? You know how offensive? I mean, I heard a comedian one time say that, you know, God's busy. Don't be asking God to damn things all the time. He's busy. He ain't got time to go and, you know, he said, I got a friend named Rudy. Ain't even got a job. But won't you just say Rudy, damn it. Because he ain't got nothing better to do. But leave God out of your cussing. Stop cussing. But leave God out for goodness sake. You know how offensive it is? (laughs) I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Well, I hope you don't use God's name because that ain't a little. (laughs) I forget who said that, but that was funny. Okay, (laughs) number four. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. These were the things that God was giving his children in a world that was wicked, in a world where there was not a Holy Spirit available, in a world where there was no salvation, in a world that needed help, To be guided and to be taught and to be shown a way that would keep them safe from sin and help them to not live in sin. And he said it's very important that you set aside time in your busy schedule to make sure that you are attending to the things that are most important to my worship and to assembly. Make sure that you take one day and set it aside to honor and to worship me instead of just worshiping and and blessing yourself every day. Take time out of your busy schedule. Make sure that you honor me. Honor your father and your mother. Fairly self-explanatory. And that's got a promise of reward. You know, your parents were the only way that God could get you here. There was no other way. Your parents are the only way that God could get you It wouldn't be you without your parents. And God says, if you want to be kept out of sin, if you want to stay just stay away from it. There's no mandate that you curse your parents or dishonor or disrespect them. You don't have to do that. Even if they weren't the best parents or the greatest example, even if they hurt you or disappoint you, it doesn't mean that you have to live a disrespectful, hateful, dishonoring life toward them. Okay. God said, in a world filled with sin, don't let the world bring you to a place where you begin to dishonor your parents. Number six, do not commit murder. Number seven, do not <laughs> commit adultery. Number eight, was that funny? <laughs> That's funny. Right. It's where the rubber meets the road, man. Okay? You shall not. Commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not, shall not bear false witness. Don't be lying against your neighbor. You shall not covet uh, your neighbor's possessions or his wife or his servants. All of these are guides to guard us against the sins that diminish our lives and diminish our relationships and destroy our future. These sins God knew in a world gone wrong, these sins would destroy what he was trying to build. It would destroy lives. For goodness sakes, realize we live in a world that is sinful. Even though the law is no longer our judge, and it is not. It is still a good guide. It helps us to stay away from the things that pull people into sin and destroys their lives. All of these are guides, and they guard us against those things. Galatians, the third chapter, tells us in verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor. It was our our schoolmaster, is what the King James says. It was a schoolmaster. It was a tutor. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It pointed us to a life that God wanted us to live. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. You are not under the judge. You know, the, the, your, your first grade teacher can't, can't spank you anymore if they ever did. Mine did me in the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. Third grade was the was the longest uh, 3 years of my life. <laughs> but they can't they can't punish me anymore. But what they taught me still here and I would be stupid to forget it. I would be stupid to think that just because the law is not my judge that I therefore can be lawless. The Ten Commandments are a safe guide and a safeguard for us to follow. They teach us how to treat God, how to treat our family, and how to treat others. As I said, they're not our judge anymore, but they're still a good guide because we live in a sinful world in a world that tries to get us to put other things before God in a world that does its best to bring us into sin with our neighbor whether it's lying or stealing or committing adultery or wanting what they have it's 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 wrong the original five commandments that God gave to Adam and Eve were fairly positive the Ten Commandments were mostly negative the positive ones were in a world without sin. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. You know, subdue your enemies and, and then have dominion. Live on top. Live in charge. Don't be under dominion. Live in dominion. Don't let things get on top of you and start ruling you. And, and, and you know, get on top of other things. And, you know, make sure that, that, that you know, you're having dominion over the works of God's hand. And then the Ten Commandments were given in a world that had gone wrong. Trying to help his children live good in a bad place. When Jesus came, we got born again. Our sin was dealt with whenever we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we live in a dual reality in many ways. We are in this world of sin, but we are not of this world of sin. But yet every day, the temptations which come to this flesh try to capture us and hold us bound. And we must remember that we are born again, that we are the children of God, that we have the Holy Spirit, and that we are called by God to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and, and, and subdue our enemies and have dominion while at the same time we have to stay away from adultery and we have to stay away from lying and cheating and stealing. We need to respect our parents. No other God's before us. Set aside a time to worship God and not make life all about ourselves. And we need to make sure that we are following God so that we can stay safe and sane in this wicked and unjust world you may be on your way to heaven but that's no license to live like hell ten commandments the five commandments they were all wonderful yet there is only one command that God gave Jesus God gave Jesus a command to deal with and to destroy the power of sin. God gave Jesus a command, and that command was what he needed to say, what he needed to speak, the things he needed to do. Jesus said, the works that I do are not my own. It's the Father that dwelleth in me. The words I speak are not my own. It's God in me. He's doing the works that you see me do. Those are God's works. God gave Jesus one command, and that was to destroy the power of sin. He did that. He gave us that one thing God sent him to give us, eternal life. God instructed Jesus... To make every word count when Jesus stood only a few days from the cross he again told his disciples that this is the reason I came you know I don't want to go to the cross should I ask God may my heart is troubled I'm in anguish should I ask God to deliver me from this moment No, it is for this purpose I came to this moment. And I, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And and I came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, he told them, That's the reason I came. It's my only mission to seek and to save the lost. He told Nicodemus earlier in Jerusalem in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, he continued, to condemn the world. We must realize that Jesus did not come to shine a light upon our darkness so that he could tell us how dark we were. He came to shine a light on almighty God and everlasting life and if we shine a light on the same everlasting light that he shined a light on people will see it and be drawn to him we're not here to shine a light on people's darkness we are here to shine a light on Jesus Jesus did not come into the world God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved As I said, the first five commandments were positive, basically, and most of the second, you know, the Ten Commandments uh, were mostly negative, trying to keep us from running wild and destroying lives and families and relationships and futures. God knows we need guidance, but the one command that God gave to Jesus is overwhelming. Eternal life. Eternal life. Let me encourage you as I close to decide today that you have a great commission as well. Jesus said, I know the command of God. That concept of command is a concept of being commissioned to do something, being sent on a mission, commissioned. I know what God has sent me here for. I know the command of God on my life, and that is to make sure That it redounds, that it turns out to bring eternal life to mankind. Jesus, after he had been crucified, buried, and resurrected, spoke with these same disciples, minus Judas, as he was ready to ascend up into the heavens. He looked at those same disciples whom just a week ago, just, just, just actually, you know, the week before he was crucified, longer than a week then, but he had just said to them what he was here for, that God gave me a command and that is to make sure other people receive eternal life. The Bible says that Jesus said to them in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, he said, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. All power, all authority, all exousia is the Greek word, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. For this reason go ye. You go. You go and you make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And listen, I'm going to be with you always. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of this age, even until I come again. Jesus received one command. You and I have received one command. The command we have received is a great commission today God hopes that we will hear his voice today God hopes that we will feel commissioned by him to make sure that we are not just being critical of others and judging them to make sure that we're not condemning others that's not the reason we got born again that's not the reason we were saved we got saved and now God wants us to to bring eternal life to others. He wants us to to say, to speak, to to encourage people. Get born again. We need to tell other people about eternal life. Every one of you will get one step closer today to going through that portal we call death. It will happen to everyone. everyone. It's happened to everyone who's ever lived. It will happen to everyone who will ever live. You will die. What will you do on the other side of that? If you don't have eternal life, what will you do? Today, 151,600 people will die. That's the average. That's what's expected of today. In the 24 hours each day, 151,600 people die. By some accounts, only 65,000 of those are born again the rest of them step out to a Christless eternity. Not because they have to. It's a choice. But the Word of God says, how shall they know if they're not told? But we're not talking about people just on some foreign continent. We're talking about your neighbors, your friends your family, at least you can share eternal life with them.